0: Welcome to Dixtera Group's third quarter results conference call. As a reminder, all participants are in listen-only mode and the conference is being recorded. After the presentation, there'll be an opportunity to ask questions. To join the question queue, you may press star, then 1 on your telephone keypad. Should you need assistance during the conference call, you may signal an operator by pressing star and zero. I would now like to turn the conference over to Drew Knight, Chief Financial Officer. Please go ahead.
1: Thank you, Ariel, and good morning. My name is Drew Knight, and I am the Chief Financial Officer of Dextera Group Inc. With me today on the call are John McCush, CEO and President of Facilities Management, and our Board Chair, Bill McFarland, who will provide some brief introductory comments. The format of this conference call will be the same as our past calls. After a brief presentation, we will take questions with the call ending by 9.15 Eastern Time. We will be be commenting on our Q3 2021 results with the assumption that you have read the Q3 earnings release. The MD&A and second quarter financial statements were also made public last night and are available on our website and on CDAR. The slide presentation, which supports today's comments, was also posted on our website last night, and we encourage participants to access the slides and follow along with our presentation, after which we will have a Q&A period. Before we begin, I would like to make some comments about forward-looking information. In yesterday's news release and on slide two of today's presentation that we have posted on our website, you will find cautionary notes in that regard. While I won't read the content of the cautionary notes in their entirety, we do claim their protection for any forward-looking information that we might disclose on this conference call today. I will now turn it over to Bill McFarland for his introductory comments. Bill?
2: Thank you, Drew, and welcome to everyone, and thank you for taking the time to be with us today. The management team and board are pleased with the strong results for Q3 that Drew and John will discuss in detail. As we step back and review our progress, we take pride in a number of accomplishments and are looking forward to fewer COVID restrictions and the opportunity to continue to execute on our vision and plan. We believe our plan to create a company with $1 billion in revenue and $100 million in EBITDA is becoming a near-term reality. We had 19% revenue growth in Q3 2021 compared to Q3 2020 and have a strong national workforce accommodations footprint with several expansion opportunities we have our modular capacity with the manufacturing capability to support higher revenues with a growing and diverse backlog of projects and there are many opportunities in the facilities management space our disciplined asset light strategy and our current business mix which now is about 50% support services will also allow us to convert a high percentage of EBITDA to free cash flow in the future. These factors along with our strength of the management team give us confidence that we will continue to provide shareholders with attractive returns by paying dividends and through share appreciation over time. I will now pass it over to John to provide details around our progress and what the future holds.
3: Thank you Bill. Good morning everyone. Let me start with some good news. Dextera Group was recognized by the Canadian Occupational Safety Magazine as Canada's safest employer in the services sector. I'm very proud of all of our team across Canada who contributed to this significant award. Safety is an important key performance indicator for Dextera Group. As Bill noted in his opening remarks, we had good results for Q3. The revenue performance of our WAFs business was strong in Q3 due to higher camp occupancy, mobilization of new services contracts, including a significant oil sands customer, and a strong Q3 peak season for our forestry and fire camps businesses. Pipeline camps in BC rebound strongly in Q3 with a good occupancy as COVID-19 restrictions were eased. Though our Kitimat open camp will likely continue to be closed until late Q2 2022, due to delays in scheduling of the LNG Canada project. The WAF's increase included a $6.2 million increase in energy services revenue related to the robust activity in the energy sector. We are also seeing new and expanding camp opportunities in the natural resource sector across the country that bode well for our future growth. The modular solutions segment revenues for Q3 2021 decreased by 3.2 million from Q2 2021. This was a disappointment caused by administrative delays in the rapid affordable housing projects with the City of Toronto and site access delays on projects in BC. Revenue from these deferred projects will be recovered in Q4 2021 and Q1 2022. With the opening of the NRB Modular Solutions plant in Cambridge in June of this year, production capacity for modular solutions has increased to well over 300 million annually. Integrated facility management revenues were flat with Q2 2021 and increased by 3.4 million when compared to the same quarter last year we expect this upward trend to continue as further COVID restrictions are lifted especially in the airport and retail sectors which continue to face business challenges moving to slide 7 adjusted EBITDA excluding queues as a percentage of revenue for integrated facility management was 8% in Q3 2021 improving from six percent in the same period in 2020 and roughly consistent with our q2 2021 this was the result of a focus on utilization of resources use of technology to provide the quality solutions customers want the growth prospects for ifm remain significant with brisk bidding for for new work and an active M&A program which will add scale expand our geographic footprint and capabilities with the expectation of delivering a 7.5% to 8% overall margin level. 48% of our WAFs business is non-capital intensive support services and aligns closely with our IFM business. The services business in WAFs is growing and will have a consistent margin with little investment required. WAFs EBITDA excluding Qs for Q3 2021 increased by 6.1 million, or 41 percent compared to Q2 2021, and 3.3 million, or 19 percent, compared to Q3 2020. This increase in EBITDA was despite the closure of the Combat Crossroads Camp in Q4 of 2020. Q3 2021 revenues for energy services Increased 6.2 million in Q3 which included two and a half million increase in mat sales Both the relocatable structures and the matting business are expected to continue to experience increased Utilization throughout the remainder of 2021 and into 2022 as the energy business rebounds Our forestry and fire camp service business had a good season Contributing significant revenue of 20 million for quarter three, the team planted 35 million trees this season, which is significant. On slide nine, EBITDA from the modular segment for Q3 2021 saw a dip from Q2 2021 of 1.6 million due to lower volumes, lower plant utilization and the resolution of some old contract issues. Adjusted EBITDA excluding Qs as a percentage of revenue for Q3 was 6%, and a year-to-date Q3 2021 was 7%. Cost improvement project is, projects are ongoing. We believe market margins will likely approximate 7 to 8% as we reach scale in the business and we diversify into different product lines. A key metrics for the modular solutions is the backlog of projects and the sequencing projects to utilize our plant capacity effectively. Management is working with our customers, suppliers, and teams to align projects and improve manufacturing efficiency. This backlog increased to 153 million at September 30th and includes 25.3 million for industrial and U.S. manufacturing supply projects signed in Q3 2021, as we, and this is just a sign as we begin to diversify the business. Our modular solutions business also has reoccurring modular business beyond these projects worth approximately $40 million per year. These mainly consist of education modules and specialty kiosks. The overall outlook remains very positive for Modular with significant opportunities to increase revenue in EBITDA in the near term as our backlog grows and the business is further diversified. I'll now turn it back over to Drew for comments on our financial position and outlook. Over to you, Drew.
1: Thank you, John. Our financial position and liquidity are strong, and I'm talking to slide 11, pardon me our financial position and liquidity are strong and we finalized a larger credit facility in september to support our growth aspirations and provide over 120 million of available credit without using the new larger acquisition facility debt was 79.6 million at september 30th down from 85.4 million at december 31st debt increased $7.7 $7.7 million during Q3 2021 due to the working capital investments required for revenue growth and seasonal volumes in the WAFs business. We are also very focused on converting EBITDA to free cash flow via our disciplined asset light strategy with a goal of converting close to 50% of EBITDA to free cash flow in fiscal 2021. Looking at, annual cal- looking at an annual calculation is important, as this effectively eliminates quarterly seasonality impacts. This conversion rate should extend into 2022 as we continue to use our tax loss carry forwards to preserve cash. Dexterra Group also declared a dividend for the fourth quarter of 2021 of 8.75 cents per share for our shareholders of record at December 30th, 2021, to be paid January 17, 2022, which is in line with our goal of giving our shareholders a mix of dividends along with share appreciation. Looking forward to looking at our path forward on slide 12, the integrated facilities management business has many large bidding opportunities, but found in Q3 that a couple of large national contracts split their awards among several suppliers. This was a new trend in the marketplace we won parts of these contracts. IFM has also been significantly impacted in both the airport and retail sectors and expects the improvement in the aviation sector to have a positive impact on its results as the population receives vaccinations and federal restrictions on travel lessen. Airport traffic is up, but it is still only it is still under 50% of 2019 levels. We expect that this return to historic levels will be very gradual through 2022. Our focus is winning new bids and maintaining current profit margins while providing excellent service to our existing clients. Our M&A program is active and will help us add scale, expand geographic footprint, and build our capability. The WAF's business is seasonal, but revenue will be higher in Q4 2021 compared to Q4 2020 despite having the Kitimat camp closed. The newly launched hospitality services contracts in the oil sands will add to results and the expectation for strong results in 2022. The Kitimat camp is expected to be fully occupied in the second half of 2022. As John said earlier, our resource-based businesses are expecting to experience better camp occupancy, stronger mat and relocatable structures utilization throughout the remainder of 2021, and into 2022 as the energy and mining sectors rebound and our modular solutions business has added a significant backlog of work has a strong pipeline of other opportunities so we are expecting good revenue and EBITDA growth in q4 2021 rolling into 2022. dexterra group has lost ta- tax loss carry forwards of 70.8 million as at September 30th, and will save over 15 million in cash taxes in 2022 and 2023, which will enhance free cash flow in those years. As Bill alluded to in his opening remarks, Dextera Group is poised for strong growth in 2022. We are focused on organic growth as well as selective acquisitions. We have taken steps to prepare for growth with the recently expanded credit facility and ERP implementation, and by refining processes throughout the business to promote scalability. Hiring of new people continues to be a challenge that we are actively managing across all business segments, but we have a strong team energized by our recent successes, and we look forward to continued support from our shareholders as we build a strong national support services champion our shareholders may be proud of. This concludes our prepared remarks for today. At this time, I will turn the call back to our operator for the Q&A portion of the call. We ask that you begin by limiting yourself to two questions. If we have time at the end, we will circle back for additional questions. Thank you for joining us today. Please go ahead, operator.
0: Thank you. We will now begin the question and answer session. To join the question queue, you may press star, then 1 on your telephone keypad. You will hear a tone acknowledging your request. If you are using a speakerphone, please pick up your handset before pressing any keys. To withdraw your question, please press star, then two. We will pause for a moment as callers join the queue. Our first question comes from Michael Dumet of Scotiabank. Please go ahead.
4: Hey, good morning, guys. Good morning, Michael. Um, first question, maybe if you can expand on you know, the reasons the customers diversified the supplier base for the new awards and in, in IFM, that'd be great. And I guess maybe just as a quick follow on to, I mean, do you have better visibility at this point in terms of contract wins and an acceleration of growth or is there an element of kind of M&A having to be part of that equation, you know, as that brings more scale and, and capabilities? Just curious in your thoughts there.
1: Um, yeah, sure, Michael. I think, um, in the fm world some of the contracts did stay with incumbent suppliers as some of the national contracts uh, they were looking to consolidate everything from coast to coast Um, and i think there was some influence from covid that making a change at this time maybe wasn't uh, in their best interest so they did leave a lot of the work with incumbent suppliers Uh, so it still remained very fragmented however they did uh, award we did win a, an award with one of those national contracts it was just a fair bit less than we expected with uh, with winning the national contract um and in terms of uh, scaling up we are actively bidding um many contracts and we we expect to win our fair share in the next uh, quarter and the the ramp up for um for these contracts, is fairly quick in the services business, which is a, a nice thing. So if we win something, we would we would probably launch it within three months. Um, and and you know we are diversifying the the business um, as we go across the country and with capabilities. And, and our M and A program is certainly focused on that as we uh, as we are getting down the path on M and A and getting close on a, on a few transactions. No,
4: that's great, college Drew. Um, and maybe just training to workforce
1: combination
4: um, you know given the strong demand there um, you know are you at a point where utilization rates are high enough that you can go ask for more price Like maybe not for a long-term contract but maybe shorter term contracts or new business or is there still a bunch of excess capacity in the industry
3: yeah good good, good question I, I believe there's still excess capacity in the industry quite frankly uh, we, we actually have, uh, you know, some excess ourselves. You we, we know, I've said before that we weren't anxious to dump it into the market and create another competitor for ourselves. Uh, you know, so I think there is still pressure there in that, in that, in that regard. I think on the service-only uh, opportunities, the support services bids, uh, the margins are good, and the competitive side on that will be driven by the quality of our culinary and our, and our service to the, to, the, to the residents in the camp. So I think there's an opportunity for us as we continue to, you know, win a greater share of, that, of those opportunities that we could uh, have some improvement, uh, you know, as, as we deliver. Uh, on the customer service side of things.
0: Our next question okay. comes from Frederick Bastian of Raymond James. Please go ahead.
5: Good morning. Um, facilities management revenue grew 9% year over year. Does this fall in line with your expectations or could we see growth uh, accelerate further with the re, uh, retail sector improving?
1: Yeah, I think nine uh, percent is kind of a low water mark for us. We're we're expecting much higher growth year over year. Frederick, I think um, you know just the organic growth on the stuff uh, related to um, uh, COVID will help us scale up. But also, um, we're expect we have won several small contracts and we're expecting to win many more going forward. So, I think. Uh, we're expecting double-digit growth, for sure, in FM year-over-year. Year. Okay. And
5: if you have touched on that, apologies, but how, how is the acquisition pipeline looking? Um, do you have a lot of files that you're looking at? Just would like to get an update here.
1: Yeah not in a position to announce anything at the moment um, but we are down the path we've got a pretty good pipe of of opportunities we're looking at and we've advanced discussions with a couple of targets so it's uh, it's um, it's moving along well
0: our next question comes from Chris Murray of ATB capital markets please go ahead
6: yeah. Thanks, folks. Good morning. So, um, my first question is is around you know thinking about revenue is into twenty twenty two and and some of the moving parts. So, if we kind of start with you know your expectation for at least seven hundred twenty five million this year in revenue, and correct me if that's that's that is changing. Um, you know, when I think about, you know, you had the Kitimat camps in, you seem to have a pretty good uh, waves business that's well positioned uh, and demand moving up there. Um, FM, the recovery, we, I think we all understand. I mean, how close do you think you can get to your billion-dollar mark just, just with, you know, what's actually happening in the business today outside of acquisitions over the next year?
1: Yeah, I don't, we're not gonna hit the billion-dollar mark in 2022, Chris, to be clear. Um, you, know, the, you mentioned at the beginning of the question the 725 million number. We don't give forecasts, but um, you know, it's in the presentation for a reason. We're, we're gonna be in and around that range, so it's a safe number for, for 2021. Um, but next year, you know, we've telegraphed strong growth and, and we're expecting double-digit growth, so it'll be in the teens for next year. Um, so that you know that will get us over the 800 million mark but um but it's not going to get us to a billion for sure uh, but we are expecting it in the near term 2023 2024 and that's for all business units we're seeing uh, strong growth for all three business units
6: okay that's helpful um and then just turning to the modular business just a couple questions um so john i think you mentioned that there were some maybe unusual call it catch-up costs or just just old contracts you're trying to, to fix up um, if we were to think about the margin profile of, of at least this quarter and moving forward, um, would, would that margin still be in that kind of 8% range that you were thinking about um, kind of, kind of near-term as opposed to, you know, any, any sort of color you can give us about, you know, kind of the magnitude of those, those charges so we can normalize would be helpful.
3: So let, let me just say this. As we diversify the mix of our business, Will, will, will change, and it's important to diversify. As we just saw, there are delays in rapid housing with municipalities, and we want to maximize the throughput in our in our manufacturing. So the diversification is important. But with that, when you're doing manufacturer supply, that's at a bit of a lower margin. So we got we've got the product mix, if, if I can say that within the sales. I think we've got supply chain headwinds to be honest with you if you've done any work in your own home you'll know you know the price pressures on uh, on, on building supplies and and actually the the lack of supply in some cases and now we we have some good process improvement plans and the team is working on it to improve the throughput in the manufacturing facilities but I, I just would say that's really the color. It's it's around the product mix, but it's good business.
1: Right. I, I think maybe just to add, um, uh, Chris, I know uh, the analyst community wants a number to plug into the model. So um, uh, I would say uh, we've said in John's comments that 7% to 8% is, is the right margin for that business. Um, uh, so as John said, there are several things we're working on, but 7 to 8 is the problem.
0: Once again, if you have a question, please press star, then 1. Our next question comes from Zachary Evershed of National Bank Financial. Please go ahead.
5: Good morning, everyone. Thanks for taking my questions. On the topic of the BC and Toronto uh, housing project delays, are those still delayed? Because you mentioned that they might go into Q4 or Q1, but it's already November here and a ramp up just before Christmas. Doesn't sound super likely. So could you give us some color on the pace of the recovery of those delayed sales?
1: Yeah, so um, uh, Q4 will be higher than Q3 for modular. Um, so we are we are moving forward and there is um, uh, some of the stuff is breaking free. Um, you know, I would say that um, uh, Toronto, a couple of projects are, are not going to site yet, but they're going to storage, and, and, uh, but we're continuing to manufacture the next couple of projects for, for the City of Toronto. So, um, growth in that segment will still be significant in Q4, as that, uh, and BC has broken free. That's we're we're ramping up in BC for sure.
5: That's helpful. Thanks and then on your sustaining capex projections for next year there's a bit of a step up to 10 million can you walk me through some of the uh, items that go into that
1: uh i'm not sure i've given a 10 million number uh publicly to anyone so i'm not sure where you got that number zach but um you know we are uh, continuing to focus on being asset light and um as there are new projects in both FM and WAFs. there are some small investments, but it's probably more growth capex. Um, so I think in the past, you know, we were saying we would be keeping it around five million, and next year it might be a small uptick to, to seven or eight, but uh, but it's not going to, not going to ten.
0: Our next question is a follow-up from Frederick Bastian of Raymond James. Please go ahead.
5: Um, Hello again. I just wasn't able to ask a follow-up question on the um, M&A front. Uh, When when you're looking at, um, I mean, with respect to your acquisition pipeline, are you looking at uh, businesses that could grow your business to the tune of 5%, 10% or something more meaningful?
1: Uh, So you're talking about the size of the business. Yeah, you know, I think Frederick are... Our sweet spot would be adding businesses that have revenue from probably the low of 25 million and you know 100 120 million would probably be in the sweet spot. We could look at something bigger, but uh, but we are focused on tuck unders in that range, 25 to 100 million. Okay, that
5: range. that's so, helpful. Yeah, that's helpful. Um, lastly, how should we think about uh, working capital requirements the, over the course of the year? Are are they highest in the winter months and lowest in the summer months?
1: Uh, no, it's probably the inverse because uh, as we ramp up in the summer months, uh, revenue grows in the summer months and, and we have that forestry business that kicks in in the summer. So um, we're usually long on, on accounts receivable during that period um, and also even some of the inventory requirements for modular uh, in the summer. But. Um, we're we're expecting working capital to reduce in Q4, and uh, and debt will will be repaid in Q4. Our
0: next question is a follow-up from Chris Murray of ATB Capital Markets. Please go ahead.
6: Yeah, thanks, folks. Um, you know, turning back to the modular business, just this is more of a theoretical question. But when you're talking about different um, end markets, one of the areas where at least, um, you know, the predecessor company had looked a little bit with hospitality, and certainly with uh, it looks like travel um, starting to pick up. Um, any thoughts around maybe looking at uh, hospitality or other verticals inside the modular business just to expand the footprint now that you've got the facility?
1: Um, yeah, certainly we're looking at, at multiple ways to diversify that business and and uh, talking to various customers. You know, certainly. Mid-rise hotels are a are a nice fit for us that we're we're looking at potentially bidding on on some of that, but there's not a lot of hotel building at the moment. Um, and certainly, we use our our Fairfax connections for other things like as they're when they get around to building new restaurants. Certainly, uh, bringing a restaurant online in six to 12 months is much better than stick build and doing it over 24 months. So I think. Um, Um, we are focused on on looking at some of that hospitality play Um, does that answer your question
6: yeah it does Uh, are there any other is there any other areas though that you may be looking at outside of you know your your traditional kind of uh, call it the the school and education sectors um, things like that and, and hospitality
3: so one one thing I'll just I'll just add to this. I mean, this is manufacturing supply in the hospitality sector. Uh, we're we're not planning to get back into the site delivery of uh, of hotels. I think uh, we're we're very interested in expanding our specialty kiosk work. Uh, we we think there's lots of opportunity for that. And as Drew mentioned. Uh, I know across the U.S. there are lots of uh, restaurateurs that are Chick-fil-A is one who's, who's gone to totally modular for new stores. So we think there's lots there to, to go after,
0: to diversify.
6: Great. Right. That's helpful. Thank you.
0: Our next question comes is a follow-up from Michael Dumet of Scotiabank. Please go ahead.
4: Hey, thanks for taking the follow up. Uh, I mean, this has been asked on every Q3 call um, of all your peers. So maybe just staying on theme here, but just talking about the labor availability, you know, one, you know, are you finding it, you know, I wouldn't say easy enough, but are you able to get the labor to kind of go after some of these new contract wins um, or is that a little bit of a constraint? And then two um, you know, in terms of inflationary pressures, are, are you seeing that a lot in the wage base, um, and are there pricing mechanisms?
3: Okay, so uh, I'll take that. We're we're very fortunate uh, right now that we have good people engagement across the business. Uh, I wouldn't deny that there is some tension in the business around labor availability, but we're managing it. We have lots of uh, lots of tools in the toolkit that we're deploying Uh, we also have uh, you know over 30 collective agreements and and unionized employees are pretty stable so there are some regional pockets and there are some selected uh, like skilled trades are a little more difficult than general laborers or customer care workers or etc but uh, you know we're managing through that as it relates to cost pressure regarding that I know that the the modular projects are very very short in in their in their length, so you can manage that into your pricing and on the services contracts you, you have escalation clauses, change in law clauses. So, like I can assure you, most of the FM contracts, if there was a province that decided to push the minimum wage, we got mechanisms to deal with that. So, am I, am I losing sleep over it? No, but we're paying attention to it.
4: Great, Collar. Appreciate it. Thank you.
0: There are no further questions at this time. This concludes the question and answer session.
1: Great. Thanks, Ariel. Thanks for joining us, everybody. Have a good day. Bye.
0: This concludes today's conference call. You may disconnect your lines. Thank you for participating and have a pleasant day.